All right. Hey, good morning, church. So good to see you. Uh, many of you do not know, we were scrambling this morning. If you don't know, uh, power went out for about an hour and a half, maybe. Uh, so with power also goes heat. So it was dark and cold, and we didn't know if we were going to be able to have church this morning. So we're glad that it all kind of came together, and uh, I'm glad that you are here. Again, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Pastor Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at Thrive City, and let me just tell you something about myself. I want nothing more than to see you connected and engaged in a local life-giving church. Do I want it to be this church? Absolutely, I do. However, I know that this church is not for everybody, and that is totally okay. There are many, many amazing churches in our city, and I just want to see you connected to one of them, okay? So the best way to take that next step in getting connected, Andrew already talked about it, is this connection card. So uh, you can either find one in front of you, or like we already mentioned, you can find it on our website. Maybe you've already filled one out, and you're like, that's weird, I filled one out, and I never heard anything back. Well, I'm beginning to find out a lot of my messages are getting caught in spam. Uh, so if that is you, just fill another one out. I would love to connect with you and get you plugged in or find a place where you can engage. All right, well, happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. We are officially one week out from Easter. This week is what many people within the church refer to as Holy Week. Perhaps you've heard that term. Throughout the week, what happens is we remember different events in the life of Jesus leading up to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So for example, the reason why today is sometimes called Palm Sunday is because church history celebrates the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem the week before his death. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But if you've joined us at all over the past several weeks, you know that we have been examining different stories and circumstances surrounding the resurrection of Jesus and the impact that it has had on us. We've looked at stories about Mary Magdalene, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. We looked at the disciples who had a miraculous encounter with Jesus. We looked at the life of Thomas who missed out on seeing Jesus and how he struggled with doubt. But this morning, I want to explore a story that includes pride and shame and denial and forgiveness and ultimately restoration. We're going to look at the life of a man named Simon Peter who went on to play an incredibly important role within the life of the church. I'm going to begin by reading in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. It says this. This is Jesus speaking to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow. The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus, we worship you this morning as our Messiah and as our Savior. In the same way that the people of Jerusalem welcomed you into their city with praise, we are gathered here this morning to echo their shouts. Hosanna, save us. Jesus, you are the only way, the only truth, the only source of life, and we thank you for taking our broken lives and making them into something beautiful. 
There is nothing that we can do to earn or deserve or to pay back your love. We simply receive your truth this morning and in turn live our lives in obedience to what you have called us to do. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take the lead. This is your church. We are your people. We ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would shape us. We ask that we would never be the same. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, you may not believe me. I want to grab something real quick. I believe I left it over here, unless somebody moved it. Right behind what? Oh, here it is. Hey, you may not believe me, but in high school, I did a bit of weightlifting. Yeah. Uh, and let me clarify. Let me clarify before, you know, you just get weird mental images in your head. Uh, by lift weights, I meant lift weights like this. And in high school, I mean about three times over the course of four years in my high school career. I remember finding weights like these at home, tucked away. My mom had them somewhere. Anybody ever, like, have little weights like these? I think these are... Five pounders. Woo, guys, I'm, I'm getting the pump right now as I'm talking. I remember finding weights like this and thinking, like, you know what? Yeah, I should start working out. You know, like some of my friends were starting to get into fitness. I should start working out. And, of course, having no idea what to do or how to do it, I did the only thing that most of us do when you see little weights like these. You, you, you just start to do bicep curls and maybe a few push-ups. When I woke up the next morning, I was so disappointed that I had not gotten shredded overnight. You know, I kind of looked down at my, like, al dente noodle of an arm, and I was like, man, oh, how long is this going to take? <laughs> this, this is simply too much hard work. Maybe uh, weightlifting is not for me. And ultimately, the weights found a really comfortable spot underneath my bed that was perfect to stub my toe on. But you see, the problem that I had with working out and with, with lifting weights, is that I could never see past the process. I could never see past the process. And in the heat of the moment, all I could do is focus on how tired my arms were. How long am I supposed to keep this up, right? This, this weight is so small, I have to do it a million times to make it do anything. Can't we just skip to the good part where I look awesome in short sleeve shirts? Right? Anybody ever feel that? So have you ever made this same mistake in your life? You get so focused on the end product or the result in whatever situation that you are in, you forget about the process that it takes to get there, the hard work that is involved. Maybe you're in a new relationship. You're hoping that there is a future there, but the process of getting to know each other and to figure each other out just seems to take forever. Can't we just figure this out? Can't we just fall in love already and move on? Perhaps you're in the middle of a career change, and you're looking forward to the perks of working in this new job, but it's going to take you a while to move up, to gain experience, to build trust with your coworkers. You're like, this is great, but that is where I want to be, and man, I'm just losing patience in the process. Time after time in my life, and I'm sure in yours, we lose perspective of the process because all we can do is think of the final product. And that's exactly what happens to this man named Simon Peter. We're going to talk a little bit about it and hopefully uh, learn something from his life. But first, we need to build a little bit of context 
of to what is happening in this moment. So in the context of Holy Week, like we had talked about, there's something called the triumphal entry. We read about it in Luke chapter 19. I'm not going to read through it here. I'm just going to quickly explain. Knowing that there was a growing opposition to his ministry, Jesus still leads his disciples back into the city of Jerusalem. They had been traveling, he had been teaching, he had been performing miracles, and now he is headed back into Jerusalem. And while there were many people who opposed Jesus, there was also a growing support for his ministry, mainly because people believed that the coming of the, the, uh, the, coming of the Messiah meant for them political freedom from Roman rule. Basically, they were seeking a return to the golden age of Israel, and they thought that Jesus was going to be for them the leader of their government and their military, and he was going to lead them to reclaim what was promised to them by God. So in this beautiful fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus rides into the city on the back of a donkey as people begin to line the streets, throwing their coats on the ground. I'm glad that's not a thing we do anymore. And they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna basically means, Lord, save us, deliver us. So at first glance, it seems like Jesus is getting everything that he's been working on, right? He's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been developing a large crowd, and now these people are, 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 are proclaiming that he is the Messiah. It seems like people are finally getting to get the idea. Unfortunately for them, Jesus was not the Messiah that they were looking for. He was the Messiah they needed, not the Messiah they were looking for. Instead of political deliverance, Jesus came bringing spiritual deliverance. Instead of worldly success, Jesus came offering eternal salvation. So less than a week later, the same people who were shouting Hosanna were the same people shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Fast forward a few days in this holy week, we find Jesus and his disciples gathered together to celebrate the Jewish holiday of Passover. So quick note, if you're unfamiliar with the details of this story, I know that many of us were on different, uh, different timelines in our spiritual walk. Some people know a little bit more about the story than others. I would compare this part of the story to a movie like Inception or Memento or any other film that you have to watch more than once to kind of catch all the details. So for example, Jesus and his disciples are gathered together to celebrate Passover, which comes from the story of Moses and the people of Israel in Egypt. So as Moses fought for Israel to be released from captivity, God sent several plagues to soften the hearts of Pharaoh. The last plague was the most serious. Every firstborn in Egypt would die unless they sacrificed a spotless lamb and marked their doorposts with blood. I know you're thinking, what a holiday. What in the world? So it sounds a little extreme, but bear with me. Now, Jesus, in this room with his disciples, he's breaking bread and he's sharing wine with his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So what you'll see is this connection beginning to form. Jesus is the spotless lamb that was going to be sacrificed. His blood bringing to life 
his people who are condemned to die for the penalty of their sins. So in the midst of the Passover celebration, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, guys, look, look, it's me. It's always been about me. So what do the disciples do in this moment? Instead of rejoicing, their eyes fully open to the plan of God? Nope. They immediately begin to argue about who among them was going to be regarded as the greatest. Cool, Jesus, that's awesome, but like in your new kingdom, uh, what kind of role? Am I getting a promotion? Like, do I have benefits of, uh, you know, 401k? What's going on, Jesus? Who is going to be the greatest? They completely missed the point. So now we get back to the story of Simon Peter that we read about in Luke chapter 22. I'm not going to read through it fully again. But in this moment, after explaining things about the Passover, after he's broken bread and they've had wine together, Jesus turns and he talks directly to this man named Simon Peter. Verse 31, Jesus said that Satan has demanded to have you or to test you, that he might sift you like wheat. It's important to understand that this is a cultural reference to the way that they had processed their grain. What they would do, farmers would take these huge rakes and they would toss the wheat up where the wind would carry away the waste and leave behind like the valuable wheat. Essentially, Jesus is saying, Satan is asking to test your faith. Verse 32, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now this statement must have come as a surprise to Peter as he boldly objects. What do you mean you're you're praying for me? Satan's gonna test my faith. Like what's gonna happen? Jesus, I'm ready to go with you to prison and even die with you. Jesus, my faith will never fail. At this moment, Peter was probably feeling pretty good about himself. He was a close friend to Jesus. He was a trusted member of his inner inner circle. Jesus was becoming more and more of a big deal. Just moments ago, the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the new kingdom. Peter was on top of the world. And in a moment that must have stuck with Peter forever, Jesus responds by saying, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me Three times. Sometimes our greatest tests come at the most unexpected moments. Those moments when we feel on top of the world, when we would say, like Peter, Jesus, I'm ready for anything. I will follow you to my death. It is in those those moments, like Peter, where he is standing in his own confidence, not in the confidence of Christ, that we meet our greatest tests. You see, Peter was so focused on this end product. What was going to happen? Jesus, where are we going to end up? Where am I going to be in the new kingdom? Who is going to be the greatest? He was so focused on that that he neglected to see the process that he needed to go through to get there. So there are times when we feel on top of the world. Life is going great. I love God. He loves me. What could possibly go wrong? It's exactly in those moments when our faith can be tested the most. So here, Peter's denial is foretold, and I can only imagine the rest of the time that they spent together, that's all he could be thinking about. 
three times? You really think I'm going to deny Jesus three times? As the celebration continues, we now see that Peter's denial will be fulfilled. After their Passover celebration, Jesus goes on a little trip with his disciples onto the Mount of Olives. And in the middle of the night, as Jesus was praying, Judas shows up with a group of soldiers, having betrayed Jesus for a small sum of money. As Jesus was being led away, Peter now followed him from a distance. You see, Jesus could not simply be killed in the middle of the street. The religious leaders wanted to put an end to the ministry of Jesus and silence him, but they couldn't just do it in an act of violence. They did not want to cause an uprising or a riot. So Jesus was put on trial, both in the Jewish courts and in the Roman courts. So as Peter followed from afar, he was trying to keep his eyes on Jesus. But what happened is he began to be recognized as a follower. In Luke chapter 22, verse 54, it says, And they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, Hey, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And after an inter interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly, this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. What an interesting scene to paint in our heads as Simon Peter is huddled around this fire in this tense moment as Jesus is being put on trial. I can only imagine the flood of emotions that is coursing through his head. All of a sudden, as he's sitting in front of this fire, the servant girl, as we read in verse 56, looks at him, and it's kind of that awkward moment when you see somebody in a supermarket. You're, like, you're in the bread aisle at Wegmans, and you're like, man, where do I know this guy from? Where do I know him from? And she finally figures it out. Hey, you're, you're also with this guy. You're part of his crew. And Peter's like, what, what? And he responds in a way that none of us would dare today. Woman, I do not know him. And she probably went, woman? About to know these fists. Verse 58, a couple minutes later, it happens again. Peter is recognized and again denies knowing Jesus in a similar way. Man, I do not know him. You can only imagine the, the, his cheeks getting redder and redder as he's like, man, I'm going to get found out. I'm going to be put on trial. I'm going to be killed. An hour later, it happens for a third and a final time. At this point, he's reaching his breaking point. Guys, I do not know what you're talking about. I have never been around this man. I do not know this man. I've never spoken to him. I'm not tagged in any pictures on Facebook with this man. We have no mutual connections. I haven't even seen him on LinkedIn. I do not know this guy. 
Have you ever been so caught up in a lie that your excuses just make you look that much more guilty? Like, bro, okay, hey, all I said is you were a Galilean and maybe you might know him. I love this moment in verse 61. I don't want you to miss this. The third time that he denied him, it says, immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said. And the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Do you know how busy of a scene this must have been? It's the middle of the night. These guys are trying their hardest to plan how they can kill Jesus. They certainly weren't treating Jesus very well. There was a lot going on. And I imagine it like a scene in a movie where two people are on opposite ends of a room in a loud party, but they lock eyes and all the music stops. And they're just staring at one another, saying things that words never could. In this moment, Jesus looks directly at Peter, and Peter must have been thinking, what what is he going to say? What is he going to think? Is he mad at me? Is he disappointed at me? What's going through the mind of Jesus? I want to offer up a thought that perhaps it's in that moment that Jesus is not discouraged. He is not disappointed. He is not mad. He is not planning his retribution to Peter for denying him in front of so many people. I believe in that moment that Jesus is praying for him. Like he said when they were around the table, Satan has asked for you. He's going to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So it was in that moment when Peter was afraid and he's denying that he ever knew Jesus, that Jesus was praying directly for him. That even in the midst of the trial that he was in, knowing that his life was on the line, Jesus still interceded on behalf of Peter. What an amazing truth that is, that Jesus still intercedes for us. When our faith is tested, he never leaves us or forsakes us. So Peter's denial was foretold, it was fulfilled, and in a wonderful turn of events, Peter's denial is forgiven. So we fast forward to after the death of Jesus. Simon, Peter, and some of the others went out fishing. So for many of them, this was a return to what they used to do before they followed Jesus. It's like, well, that season of our life is over. You guys want to go fishing? As they were fishing, they couldn't seem to catch anything until a man from the shore called out to them and he told them to cast the nets on the other side of the boat. And when they did that, their nets were almost immediately full of more fish than they could handle. And in that moment, the apostle John realized that it was Jesus. And when he heard this, Peter was so excited that he jumped out of the boat and he swam to shore to meet him. You can almost imagine Peter being like, Jesus, wait, don't leave. I have something to tell you. Please don't leave. I need to talk to you. I need to tell you how sorry I am. So we pick up the story in John chapter 21, verse 15. This is while they had now met Jesus on shore. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So in a similar pattern to the denials of Peter, Jesus is asking him three times, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? If you do, feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep and follow me. What's happening in this moment is Jesus is lovingly restoring Peter and he's giving him the pastoral challenge of tending the flock or helping to lead the church. Who would have thought the man that just days ago had denied Jesus three times was now being called by Jesus to an even greater purpose? How amazing is that? How amazing is it that we do not worship a God that that just yells at us and condemns us for every small mistake that we make, but he leads with forgiveness. A God that uses the most difficult seasons of our life to prepare us for the purpose that he has for us. Because you know what? Peter's life did not get any easier did not get easier. Weeks later, as we read about in the book of Acts, Peter gives his famous speech at Pentecost where thousands come to believe in Jesus. Peter went on to become an instrumental and important leader within the early church until his death around 64 AD. You may know the story, but Peter, like Jesus, was crucified. He's crucified upside down, actually. Now, instead of denying that he ever knew that man. Peter boldly went to his death, proclaiming, I know him. I know that man, Jesus of Nazareth. He saved my life, so I have given it back to him. It's all I can think about as I picture Peter on the cross, being nailed to the cross just like Jesus. As he remembers his denials. Man, I remember that time where I denied I never knew him. I will never do that again. I know that man. I know that man, Jesus. So right now, you might feel like you are at the lowest of the low. The lowest point in your life, it may seem like your faith has been tested over and over again, like Peter being sifted like wheat, and you're not sure how much longer you can hold on. Maybe you're feeling like Peter, you've messed up, you've made mistakes that you're not proud of, and you can feel Jesus now looking at you. Is God mad at me? Is he disappointed in me? Is he ever going to be able to forgive me? All that you can see is the pain and the problems that are in front of you when in fact you are in the midst of a process that God is using to strengthen you for the purpose that he has for you. 
My friend, I'm here to tell you this morning, if no one has ever told you, Jesus loves you. He is praying for you. He is interceding for you. He loves you so much that he went to the cross for you. He loves you so much that he rose from the dead. He loves you so much that he wants to experience a thriving life with you. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus turns your tests into your greatest testimonies. God turns our tests into testimonies. Whatever comes my way, God, I'm going to stick through it. I am trusting in you, Jesus. Use this season for your glory. God, my faith is being tested. My courage may fail. My heart might feel weak. I might be angry or overwhelmed. But Jesus, my faith will not fail. You are praying for me. Jesus, carry me through. It's these tests that we go through day in and day out where we feel like we can't make it any longer. Jesus is using those to give us a powerful, life-changing testimony. Where at the end of our lives, we can look back at everything that he has done and say, I know that man. I know him. His name is Jesus. So in the face of heaviness and heartbreak, in the middle of burdens and brokenness, may God grant us the strength to say with conviction, we know that man. Guys, the past few months have not been easy for many of us. For many of us, there's been sickness and disease. People have lost loved ones. There's been financial hardship. It has been a hard few months for many people in this church. But week after week, it's such a beautiful thing that we get together and we just get to worship. We get to rejoice and we get to make that same proclamation. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We want to say to everyone that will listen, we know him. He has changed my life. All right, <laughs> I gotta wrap it up so I can go cry in a corner somewhere. Maybe this morning, you might be saying to yourself that, that you've never had a chance to really know him. You've heard about him, you, you've known about him, you've known of him, but you've never had a chance to truly know him. Like Simon Peter, like so many of us, I know that man, he has changed my life, he has turned my tests into testimonies. Maybe you feel overwhelmed or helpless or barely hanging on. I want to give you an opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus. This is something that we do every week because we feel it is so important. A chance to say yes, Jesus, I want to know you. Please invade my life. I cannot do this on my own. I want to know you. I want to pray together with every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, would you just pray along with me? You don't have to say anything out loud. Just pray along in your heart. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for being buried in a tomb. And I thank you for being raised again on the third day, defeating sin, defeating death. Now allowing me to have a relationship, a thriving life with you. Jesus, I place my trust, I place my hope, I place my confidence in you alone. Only you can save. Jesus, thank you for being a God that is able to be known deeply and intimately and personally and powerfully. God, I thank you that you can change my life. 
So start right now, in this moment. You are the living God. You are alive and well and active. I give my life to you. Every head bowed, every eye still closed. If that was you this morning, would you just let me know by lifting up your hand on the count of three? Nobody's looking around. We're not judging. We're not going to call you out or anything weird like that. One, I believe that God loves you so much. He wants to be known by you. Two, I believe that your life will never, ever be the same. Three, would you say, I know that man. I've made that decision this morning. God, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you for those that have made that decision to say yes to you today. We thank you and praise you for the things that you are doing within our church, within the life of Thrive City. God, may we be a place that uses the tests of our lives to give our greatest testimony. God, you have carried us through. You have never left us. You have never forsaken us. But through it all, we worship you. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.